Well, good morning. My name is Bill Stafiri. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the senior pastor of our Beach Point Churches, the lead pastor of the Fountain Valley campus here. And uh, some of you had a chance to meet Ken, who's the lead pastor of our Huntington Beach campus. And uh, Ken, uh, some of you might know, if you don't know, Ken, Ken is born and raised Canadian. But when we found him, when we recruited him, he was actually a pastor in Hawaii. And Ken tells a story about uh, moving from the mainland here to Hawaii to start this, his first ministry job. And uh, he was a part of a big church that was doing kind of what we, we've done. They, they planted a new church, a new campus. And Ken was a part of that team uh, to start this new campus. And so they brought a bunch of guys over and they were going to do a staff retreat. And the way that they did this staff retreat with all these guys coming over was they took him out in the ocean in outrigger canoes. They put two canoes uh, side by side next to each other. They split the staff and their, their, their spouses and their families together. And, and you know how these canoes work. So they all sat together in these uh, uh, canoes, a, a Hawaiian guy in the back uh, speaking to him. He says, all right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to count to three and then paddle as fast as you can. You're going to race each other. So he says, one, two, three. And he says, we just all started ripping at the water as fast as we could. He says, I looked across at the other uh, canoe and I saw the youth pastor. Ken was the young adults pastor. He says, I I saw the youth pastor. Our eyes met, our faces were getting red and the competitive juices kind of went up a notch. And he says, I started paddling even faster. And he goes, what I didn't realize was smacking the the guy in front of me and, and getting my wife behind me soaking wet. And he says, we came to the spot where they finally told us to stop. And he's like, you know, we're, we're exhausted, we're, we're hurt, we're bruised, and we're soaking wet. And so he, they, they took a moment to pause, and he pulled the boats together, the guy who was leading the staff, and he says, okay, now, this time, I'm going to teach you how a canoe works. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch the person in front of you. And all of us are going to put our paddles together in at the same time and pull the water at the same time. We're going to work together in unison. And so he says, all right. Ready? He, t- he turns the, the, the boats around. He says, ready, one, two, three, go. And they, they flew off across the water again. They get to the finish line. They stop and they realize something. We went faster. We had better momentum. We were, we were more powerful working together. We didn't hurt each other or we stayed dry. Like it, it, it worked. There was something powerful about the way it worked. And, and his whole goal, the, the pastor's whole goal was to teach them. This is how a church is supposed to work. This is how a team is supposed to work. All of us are to paddle together. Now, church, churches are not designed to be individualistic sports. They're meant to be teams. They're meant to work together as teams. The reality is churches, like many organizations, often can fall into what's called the Pareto principle. Uh, maybe you've heard this. It's the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people or 80% of, your, uh, of the results comes from 20% uh, uh, of your product. And, and, and this happens in many organizations and churches are not immune. In fact, we'll see in a passage of scripture this very thing at work in the very first church. But when this happens, what happens is a few people are vital, but the, the masses, most of the people are considered trivial. And I think you and I agree that's not a good way to do things. So here's the exciting thing. The exciting thing is that all of us are called to paddle. And I want to give you a big idea, and I want to, I want to start expanding a little bit on it, but I want, to, I want to bring you into a moment of reflection on it. Uh, so let me have you write this down. Here's the, here's the one idea that kind of centers where we're going and centers all our thoughts. 
take, take a second to write this down. You have a purpose in God's great mission. You have a purpose in God's great mission. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to write that down. Then I want to I explore this a little bit. You have a purpose in God's great mission. Now, let me ask you something. Without us unpacking it yet, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that almighty God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, has a purpose for your life, has a mission for your life, has a calling on your life, has an invitation for this season of your life? That where you are right now, the unique way, person that you are, that God has a plan of how he wants to use your life to bless him, to bless others, and ultimately to bring blessing to you. I hope you do. I hope you want to embrace this because I will tell you, I believe our church will work better if we do it as a team. I am convinced that if we all grab a paddle and everyone paddles, we will, it, it, we will work better. It will be better. In fact, I, I went back... Uh, February of 2009 was uh, when I began to uh, lead the church as the interim pastor. I was filling in. The church wasn't sure where we were going to go next. And I pulled up the very first sermon that I preached. And, and, and almost the very first thing I said, I still believe it to this day. We're in this together. The only way this church is going to make it is if all of us paddle. The only way that we're going to make any kind of difference in this community, any kind of difference in this world, is if all of us are in it together. And, and I believe that with all my heart. But here's what I, and so I, I can simply say this, we, we need you. We need you to paddle. I, I don't want to be in the back paddling this giant ship by myself, okay? You can't sit in the front, you know, in a lounge chair with a little drink and a little umbrella in the front, just kind of, you know, catching rays. Everyone has to paddle for this to work. We need you. But let me tell you this, you need this. You need this. Because when you embrace this, you unlock things in your life that are missing, things, possibilities and potential in your life that you have, that, that are just waiting to be explored. In fact, maybe some of you even thought about this last week. If you were here last week, we began to talk about and invite you to live generous lives, to live lives where you'd be generous with what we call our time, our talents, and our treasures. Last week, the, the passage that we looked at explored the idea of the very first Christians, how they were incredibly generous with their wealth, that, that they saw that what God had given to them was, it was to be used to bless people. And so they didn't see things, they didn't hold on to things as they, they were their own, but they were very generous with what they had. And as a result, uh, they, they changed the world. And we began to talk about some of the unique ways we're doing that. Now, some of you might have sat here last week listening to all the stories of what we're doing right now and thought, Man, I'm missing out. I, haven't, I, wasn't, I didn't do that. I didn't make an Operation Christmas Child box or I didn't help the Ida Project or whatever it is. And you realize, man, I, I'm the one who's missing out. See, here's the thing, what, what we know is that God is going to accomplish his great mission. What we see from page one to the very last page of the Bible is God is a God of mission that he's on. He, he's doing something. He's uh, the, this God who creates and, and, and redeems and is recreating his creation, his, his world, that this is going to be accomplished. He's going to do it with or without you. And so the one who misses out isn't God. The one who misses out is us when we don't accept the invitation to join him in what he's doing. And so I love the, we, we looked at 1 Timothy as kind of a theme verse 
verses uh, 17 and 18. Let me remind you of verse 18. If you weren't here last week, uh, 1 Timothy 6.18 will be up here on the screen. You can look at it more later. But he says this to this early church. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The Bible from from the very start to the very end is very clear that God is up to something and he's inviting us to to be a part of it. You've been given the invitation to be rich towards God and in doing so, you bless God. But along the way, you bless others and ultimately what you find is you live a life that blesses you. You you live a life that opens up your life to all kinds of blessing for yourself. Uh, One of the great themes of the Bible is how God wants to use your life. And it's interesting. Psalm 139 says this about you. It says that you were created. He says, David writes, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, let me say something and and try very hard not to turn this all on you and make it all about you. There's no one like you. There's no one, there has never been and there never will be someone exactly like you. There There will never be someone who God has designed like you with your gifts and abilities, and talents, and passions, and experiences, and wisdom, and and personality. The the unique way, think about this, he knit you together. He crafted you like an artist crafts a masterpiece. Isn't it great to think about, this isn't about you. I don't want your head to get big, okay? This is about how great God is. Isn't it great that God isn't up in heaven creating, he doesn't have this like machine press where it's like, just kind of mass producing us, but that you were knit together, that you were crafted as an artist crafts a masterpiece, that there's no one like you and there never will be anyone quite like you. Now, and again, this is not so that people start to worship you. This is so you could say like the psalmist, God, why in the world are you mindful of someone like me? And all of it comes down to his great love for you and his great love for this world and what he's doing. And so God is inviting you. He's inviting you to change the world. He's inviting you to be history makers. He's inviting you to do something with your life that is so much bigger than just about you. And so I want to encourage you to think about this. There was this moment in the first church where they, it was kind of like a turning point moment that once they kind of understand this, you almost see in the book of Acts, and in fact, then you'll see it in the, the letters to these churches that they go to, you'll see this moment where it, it, it opens up and, and people begin to discover how important it is that all of us, every single one of us grabs our paddle and we, we find our place in which God is calling us to row, to make the boat move. And so let me invite you to turn to this very short passage, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And I want to invite you to think about this principle. We'll see this principle at work, and we'll kind of explore how to do it. Acts 6, 1 to 7, we've been looking at, we've been talking about the hope of the resurrection. So since Easter, we saw that the resurrection of Jesus Christ created all this hope in these new Christians, these new believers, that something had changed. The, The world was changed on Easter Sunday. 
And since then, as we're watching these very first Christians live, what we're seeing is this unique way as hope is arising in their life, that literally from this very tiny little place, that, 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 that hope is beginning to spread. And it has spread all over the world, even to us here today. We're here today because of that hope. And so in Acts 6, 1 to 7, we're going to see that very quickly as things begin to expand and grow, problems arise. And so let's read Acts 6, 1 to 7, and then we'll, we'll kind of break it down a little bit. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, when we look at this passage, we see right away a problem, or actually some problems that are, are developing. What is the problem that is developing? And we see it right away in verse 1. What had happened is that the church was growing. Uh, in fact, what we see is as it's increasing in number, uh, even reading up to this point, that God had been uh, adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And so it, it was increasing and kept increasing and kept increasing and kept increasing. And when that happens, that kind of growth happens, it creates problems and conflicts. They're good problems. They're good challenges, but they're challenges and problems nonetheless. Now, if you've been in this church for any uh, time, the last six years uh, have been a, a radical time of change. We, our church has tripled in size in the last uh, uh, six years, it, it, and, and that's exciting. We went from two services uh, that were half full to five services that are going on now. And so that's all exciting and chaotic, and it creates all kinds of problems. And you can see in verse 1, when these kind of things happen— what happens is people start to complain and murmur. and chat. It's, it's no different than what's happened for us. Good problems, but problems nonetheless. Now you see there's two issues at play here. The first issue is there are widows who are being neglected. Uh, you have the Hellenist Jews and the Hebraic Jews. The Hellenists, the, these were people who grew up outside of Jerusalem but had found their way back. They, they, in their older age, they'd come back to Jerusalem. Mostly in their older age, they wanted to die and be buried in Jerusalem. But because they'd grown up outside of Jerusalem, they spoke Greek. They read the Greek Old Testament. And so uh, the Hebraic Jews, the ones who spoke Aramaic, the dialect of the day, and who grew up in that area and knew the traditions and everything, they, they didn't kind of see eye to eye. They kind of looked at them unfavorably. Now, if you are a, a Hebraic or Grecian widow, you probably don't have family to care for you. And on top of this, these widows and these people that as they're uh, uh, putting their faith in Christ, many who relied on the distribution from the temple, it, it very well could have been that they, were being, uh, they, they weren't allowed to receive that any longer because of their new faith. Now, what we saw last week was there was a response. The, those who had uh, started selling their possessions or giving their wealth so that they could care for everyone in need. Now, 
the challenge is, how do they actually distribute and make the whole thing work? You see, here's the generosity in play. This is the actual work of the generosity taking place. But what, what we have a problem with is everyone, everything is being done by a small group. Here's the 80-20 principle. The apostles are doing it all, all by themselves. They're praying, they're speaking, they're leading, and they're supervising this work. So it says wait, the waiting of tables, they're supervising how this is all going to get distributed. And they honestly can say to the whole congregation, and we're not very good at it, Okay. They don't, the, the, the widows are being overlooked. It doesn't mean they, there was nothing intentional by this. It just happened. It was unintentional, but it was still happening. And as a result through all this, uh, there's a problem. Now notice the second problem. The second problem is the apostles are being pulled away from what they're really good at, which is the preaching, the prayer, the leadership of the church. And they realize, hey, this is the thing that only really, we, we're, we're the best people to do this part, but they, their, their poor thinking was, we're, we need to be in charge of everything. And so as they're being in charge, they realize this is not a good system. And so what is the solution? What do they figure out? The solution is, and it's interesting if you notice, they call the congregation together. They call the people together and say, okay, we need to come up with a solution to this problem. And they say, we need to find other people. They, the, the solution is, we got to multiply we need other people who can lead this ministry and, and, and be in charge of doing this part of this ministry. And so notice what they do. They choose seven. The, the, the congregation chooses seven. The people choose seven. They're all Greek names. They're all probably people who understood the Hellenist culture. They understood the things. They could actually get inside the, the problem and they could actually solve the problem. And it's interesting uh, as they begin to do this. This is it's fascinating. This is not ancient wisdom, or this is ancient wisdom. This is the first time this wisdom has come about. In fact, if you go all the way back to the Exodus, if you go to Exodus 18, Moses is leading thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, okay? Maybe up to, some scholars think, maybe up to a million people. And it says in Exodus 18 that what Moses would do is he'd sit every day and he'd listen to all the complaints. He'd listen to everyone kind of bring their problems and he would judge over them. He'd decide, decide, decide. And Moses' father-in-law is watching him. And he's like, this is not very smart. And he tells Moses, he's like, Moses, you can't do this. This will wear you out. It'll wear the people out. It's not good for them. It's not good for you. And so he gives them this wisdom. Raise up these judges. Raise up people who can be over groups of 50, all this kind of stuff. So this is ancient wisdom that, that we see, this idea of multiplying. And the neat thing is, this isn't the last time we'll see it. As, the, as we continue to see the New Testament develop, as, as the, in the book of Acts, as they start going to these different places, what you'll see is later, as you'll, if you were to read the, other, the letters that go to these churches, that these letters keep talking about the unique way that you've got to get people, you've got to raise people up to do ministry. One of those passages is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And I love it because it really describes who we are here and how we do things here. So Ephesians 4, here's this, here's this church in Ephesus. And here's the wisdom to them. It says, Now there are gi- these gifts God gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And he says this, Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church, the body of Christ. Okay? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. 
So you don't hire pastors and teachers and leaders to do the work. You hire them, you, you raise them up so that they can raise you up to do the work, to, to equip and empower you to do the work. Now see, this idea of multiplication, this is so important. Uh, this is why everyone has to paddle. If you think about Beach Point for a second, um, imagine Jason, who was just hosting. Jason's job is, uh, he's a community life pastor, and so he's in charge of all the, so many things that happen on our weekend services. Uh, uh, so imagine if it's Jason's job to greet you as you're coming in, but then to run past you and get to the door and hand you uh, a, a bulletin, and then to lead your life group during the week. And, and you can do that. Thankfully, that's not how we do things. Jason instead has uh, about 180 people working with him. 180 people in Beach Point that are our uh, life group leaders or work on our first impressions or our patios or all those different things. He could have anywhere from 100 to 120 different people a week that are working with him, but a team that's, uh, that's closing in on almost 200 different people that are part of that team. Amy and Gabe, who lead our children's ministry, there's uh, almost 200, well, altogether, we have a, a couple hundred kids that come here. Amy and Gabe have uh, about 140 different leaders that work with them, about 100 different people each week that are committed, and they kind of work on rotations, but about 100, and a lot of you guys are, are working with them. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, who leads our student ministries, so there's got to be, what, 50, 60 different mentors that work with uh, middle school, high school, college, uh, our arts department. There's like 60 different people in choirs and bands and singers and tech and, and art, and on and on it goes. And I love that because here, here's the truth. Uh, if you're going to come work for me, if I'm going to hire you, I'm very blunt. I tell you, if you don't multiply yourself, if you don't raise up people, if you don't build teams, I'm going to fire you. Okay? I'll hug you. We'll be friends. If you want to, probably not. But uh, if you don't raise people up, you're fired. Okay? You're fired. Okay? I wear my hair like uh, I trumpet, okay? So, and the, and the neat thing is that our staff, they get it. They, 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 that's their vision, is to raise people up to do the work. Let me give you a, a perfect example. Uh, Brandon Lee leads our middle school, right? And so we had about 30 middle school kids come in, and now there's like, I don't know, 80 of you guys. They're like gremlins, so you keep getting wet, and they just multiply, right? <laughs> and so imagine if Brandon himself was in charge of 80 middle schoolers. I mean, you would, you would devour him. There wouldn't even be bones left to have evidence that he was even there, right? So how do you take care of that situation? Well, Brandon is wise. He keeps raising up. He has 11 different mentors who work with our middle school. See, this is the, the solution we see in this moment. It's, it's a really neat thing because notice the results. Look at verse 7. And you see the results of this multiplication aspect. One of the things that we, we don't quite hear directly about, but what we can safely assume is the distribution of the food got taken care of. It became better. It was a, it was a better working uh, program for them. But second, notice this, that there's this, this movement. It's almost as if the, the movement of God hit the ceiling and it stopped. And all of a sudden, the moment they, they multiplied out and they figured this out, verse 7, the word of God spread. You know, the apostles are able to go back to do what they have uniquely, their unique purpose is in God's mission. They can focus on that. And they can give themselves totally to that. The word of God spreads. The disciples in Jerusalem begins to increase rapidly. 
There's this tremendous movement of God. And I love what Luke says. I don't quite, I mean, it's interesting to think about. There's a lot, all kinds of theories. Uh, where Luke adds this little phrase, and many priests became obedient to the faith. And we don't know quite this, but it's interesting that a lot of the, the priests of the day uh, were Sadducees. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, Jason explained what a, a Sadducee uh, was a religious leader that believed there was no resurrection. So the, the idea that Jesus rose from the dead or anyone would raise from the dead, they didn't believe in that. So to think that there were those who had not only come to faith, that Jesus had risen from the dead, but that they too, through their faith, would someday rise and live with him. And it's this powerful work. And, and one of the things you'll see, if you were to read just the next chapter over, starting in chapter 7, it's no longer Peter, John, Peter, John, Peter, John, Peter, John. New people, new names, Stephen, Philip, Paul, Barnabas, Lydia, Dorcas, uh, Priscilla, Aquila, uh, the daughters of Philip, I, on and on. There's just all these different people's names as you begin to see this unique movement of God. See, I don't know if you believe this or not, but you may be the solution to a challenge that the church is facing, that God is looking to solve. You might be that very solution even right now. So in these last couple minutes, let me help you think about this. If you have a purpose, if God is doing this grand thing and he has decided that he would love to use you, how do you figure that out? How do you pursue that? Let me give you three quick things uh, to wrestle with. The first is this. Some of you need to discover what that is. You need to discover what that is. You need to discover how you are gifted. Now, in the book of Acts, one of the things that we see, one of the the, the main characters we see is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's going to be good that I leave you because if I leave, then I can send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can come. And so what we see is this, is that people, as they were repenting of their sin and and turning to, to, to Jesus in faith and becoming followers of him, that not only were their sins being forgiven, but their lives are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if the, the spirit of this God, this generous God, this, this, this amazing God lives within you, then this spirit sovereignly, uniquely fills your life, gives you a gift or gifts to use for his purpose. And we don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but 1 Corinthians 12 is a great chapter to see this. Let me just give you one verse from that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in him and he has filled you with his spirit, you have received a gift that you didn't have before. You have a gift in some way, a gift that has been given by the spirit of God to be used to bless all of us and the world and God. It's funny, when people run into me that knew me from junior high and high school, they're like, Billy Stafiri, like, you don't strike me as a guy who stands in front of people. Because uh, I'm a very shy student. I was very shy in high school. And, and, and uh, to be honest, I, I, that's, this is not my personality, is not to be in front of people. I believe God's given me a gift to do, to teach, and, and to, this is not my natural desire. I'm not other people who love, love to do this. This freaks me out. Okay? But I do it because the Spirit of God has enabled me to do it and, and has blessed me to do it. And, and because of that, I love being a part of this. 
How has the Spirit of God gifted you? You have to discover that. You have to discover that unique gift that you have or those gifts that you have and how it fits with your desires and the passions you have in your life. The, the experiences you've gone through, the things, the, the hurts and the challenges and the things you've learned, the wisdom you now have in this life because of just living up to this point, the, thing, the, the things you've overcome. You have to think about the unique way in which um, just the natural abilities you have, all this stuff works together. I, I put this quote on your uh, note page because I think it's, it's worth you holding on to and reflecting on. But I love this quote by Frederick Buechner. He says this. He says, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where is that place for you? Where is that place in which your heart just races and which you just feel like someone, someone's got to do something about it. Someone, I, I, I want to make a difference. I think I could make a difference here. Where is that place in this world where you just look at and your heart races and you say, I don't, I don't know, I don't think I could probably solve the whole problem, but I think I could make a difference in this. The creator of the universe has crafted you. He has gifted you. He has knit you together. He has made you into his masterpiece. Where's your heart beat in this way? Some of you need to discover where it is that God has called you, what this purpose is of your life to, to serve him. Let me give you, I think, what, what could be two helpful things in the, in the near future. Number one is the, uh, Saturday, June 20th, we're going to do a, a, a short workshop we call Design. And design is to help you figure out how you are designed, okay? Uh, your desires, your experiences, your spiritual gifts, your individual personality, your growth stage, your natural abilities and talents. It, it, it's a fast-moving workshop where you're taking some inventories, there's some discussion, you're praying, you're thinking. It, it goes by really fast, but the whole thing is to help you kind of move towards discovery. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't gone through it yet, if you're saying, I, I, I'm not sure where, where this fits for me, I want to encourage you to, to check that out. The second thing is, uh, I got a chance to preview this. Uh, there's a book coming out this summer called Who's Using You by a guy named uh, Dan Nervous. In fact, if you bring it to the service, you can even get it autographed, okay? Because uh, Dan's a guy in our church, but he's a writer, and uh, I got a chance to read it. It's a really fun book to read through. Tons of, if you need a summer book, I want to encourage you, sit on the beach and read this book because it moves really fast. Anyone middle school up, you'll enjoy it. So great kind of uh, ideas, biblical ideas. Here's, the, here's uh, someone or something is using you. Something or someone's using your life. So why not be intentional to discover how your life could be used by God? And it's a lot of fun stories, a lot of great ideas. I want to encourage you to read Dan's book. I got a chance to read it, uh, preview it, and it was, it was a lot of fun to read through. So some of you, the most important thing you do in movement towards discovering your purpose is to, uh, or to, to living out your purpose is discover what it is. Second is to Develop. Develop. Some of you have a calling. You're, you're small group leaders or life group leaders or you're mentoring uh, students or you're working in our children's ministry or, or, or you're, um, you have, I don't know, whatever it is that you're doing. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Give everything you have. Give your best effort. Like pursue it with all your heart. Work at it as to unto the Lord, not unto, as unto men. Give your best. Worship God 
with your ability to, to do that role. Uh, it's interesting, every Thursday night, if you think about the band here, the band, I think, I think if I were to total all the, the numbers up, I think the band's going to play about 22 minutes of songs today. They spent, at le- they spent three hours just in rehearsal. They spent uh, more time developing the whole plan. And it's interesting to think that somewhere between three and five hours or more goes into the preparation of, of so that that 22 minutes is the best it can possibly be. And I don't know if you approach your purpose and calling and ministry in this way, that you give your best effort. You, you pr- do all you can to prepare for it so that when that moment comes, you can give your absolute best. I, I got a chance to hear uh, Mike Singletary was the middle linebacker of the Bears um, a, a ways back. He's a Hall of Fame. I mean, best of his generation. So the best of his generation was talking about, how you know, if, he, if you were to take a stopwatch and actually count the minutes that, he, that actually a play was happening that he was involved in, it would, in a tired football game, a 60-minute football game, it was six minutes. He was on the field actually playing football for six minutes. But he, what he described was, I spent hours every day, all year long, preparing so that those six minutes, I would be the best I possibly could be. How do you become a Hall of Fame type talent? You don't just wing it. You don't just mail it in. You don't just show up for those six minutes. You put in all the training. You develop yourself so that when that time comes, when that game time comes, those six minutes are absolutely brilliant. Some of you know that God has placed in this season of your life an opportunity to bless him and to bless others and ultimately bless yourself. I want to encourage you to give your very best to it. Don't show up five minutes before life group and read the lesson, okay? Don't, don't just show up and work with kids. Think about all you can do to be the very best at that you can. Here's the last thing. Deploy. Deploy. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines. Some of you have been hearing God's call in your life. There's this invitation you hear God calling you into his life, into his work, you, there, but for whatever reason, you've been resisting it. I want to encourage you, move. The, what we saw the difference last week, the difference between generous people in intention and generous people who actually live generous lives is they, they move past intentions. They, they actually decide on a plan and they pursue it. They do something about it. I loved you. Maybe you heard this uh, a couple weeks ago. There was a, in, in the playoff game, uh, the Cavaliers, LeBron James, the best player in the world right now, uh, basketball player in the world. They draw up one last play. The coach draws up one last play. LeBron, you're going to throw the ball in. He's like, no, give me the ball, I'll win the game. That's the kind of attitude you've got to have at some point. So you can sit back there and hope someone else is going to win the game, or you can have that LeBron, like, put me in. Put me in. I'm ready. I'm not going to sit back. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm not going to watch anymore. Put me in, I'll win the game. And so let me give you something to think about as we're going to move to a moment of prayer. What is your unique purpose in God's great mission? What is your unique purpose in this season of your life? I don't want you guys to think of yourself as too young. Because Mary, David, uh, Jeremiah, others, they don't give, it, you don't give you permission to think you're too young. You can't think you're too old. 
Because Moses and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, they don't give you the right to say I'm too old. What is it in this season of your life with your gifts and abilities and experiences and personality, what is in this life that God is inviting you to do to be involved in the great grand thing he is doing to change this world? Let me invite us to pray. Would you bow with us? If for you this is a time of discovery, start a prayer today. Don't, don't just pray this once, but, but pray this now, maybe for the first time, and, and, and continue in this prayer. Just simply say, God, I need help discovering what my purpose is. My role in your mission, help me figure this out. And listen, maybe even God will say something to you this morning. We're going to give you about 90 seconds just to pray. Some of you just need to recommit yourself. Maybe you're a youth leader or a kids leader or a CR leader or whatever it is you're doing. Maybe just this morning you just need to say, Lord, I want to, I want to recommit myself to the role you've called me to in this season. I want to give you my very best. And some of you maybe just this morning need to accept that God is calling you. He's inviting you into something wonderful. He wants to bless people through you and you need to simply say, Lord, I hear your call and I receive it and I accept it. And so would you take the next moment, the next minute or so, and just quietly pray, lift those things up to to God and let him speak into your heart.